Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I am Sam. I am. Welcome to the Lifeboats live stream. It has been a long time since I've done a crypto-focused video, and well, the announcement that the IMF has their One World token here all of a sudden really caught my attention, and not for the right reasons, as or, or, or for all the right reasons, as some of you longtime listeners would will enjoy here. We're going to go through this. At first, I thought, you know, the articles that I were getting were saying the IMF was had adopted this thing and, uh, you know, they were not from the most reliable websites and so forth. And then I eventually found it here on Yahoo Finance. And this is an announcement that the Digital Currency Monetary Authority, basically here, let me see if I can shrink that back down, launches an international central bank digital currency now. Apparently, this happened at the IMF spring meeting earlier this year. Uh, The Digital Currency Monetary Authority, the DCMA, which is odd because, you know, like I I was doing crypto videos for three, four years, researching like 30, 40, 60, 80 hours a week. And I don't recall ever coming across the Digital Currency Monetary Authority, but we're going to find out a little more about that as we go through this. Uh, They launched an international central bank digital currency, which is odd because, uh, you know, it's a CBDCs are generally based on a country, not the whole world, but okay. Uh, That strengthens the monetary sovereignty of participating central banks and complies with recent crypto asset policy recommendations proposed by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. What is it? Universal Monetary Unit, UMU. There's even a special ASCII character you can get to denote the UMU currency symbol. It's very clever. Banks can even now attach SWIFT codes and bank accounts to a a UMU digital currency wallet and transactions and transact SWIFT-like cross-border payments over digital currency rails, completely bypassing the correspondent banking system at best price wholesale FX rates with instantaneous real-time settlement. See, there you go. Ripple, XRP, they are clearly done for here. This is the XRP killer that we've all been waiting on, isn't it? Don't you think? Let's keep reading. According to Daryl Hubbard, the executive director of the DMCA, and totally coincidentally also the founder and chief architect of the UMU, quote, this vision expressed by the IMF is the exact solution the DMCA is delivering to central banks worldwide. (laughs) Okay, well, and you know, if you read through his documentation and so forth, what does he talk about? I've been working with the banks for eight years. Um, Okay, so bro, why is your white paper... uh, published April 19th, 2023, a month ago. Mm, Yeah, we're going to come back to that. Don't worry. So let's look at Daryl here. Here's, Here's his LinkedIn. Now he's a Harvard grad. He worked at Bell Labs, was like one of the product chiefs or something like that. And He's uh, on a lot of these boards, right? Member of the Board of Advisors for North Carolina State. He's the Chief Technology Officer for the Veritron Corporation. If we click on that one, you can see that this was founded by Daryl in 2002 as a boutique management and high technology consulting and software development firm. So here's a guy who basically, and this happens a lot in telecom. I used to work in telecom 
um, you'll have all these weird data needs or things that need done because the systems are old and antiquated and you're trying to keep them running and, and so forth. And so some of these employees will quit, create a software consulting firm and then go back and pitch to, uh, you know, their, their old coworkers basically. And then you get a contract and a support contract to go along with that. And now you've got a little nice little boutique software firm. And then you start pitching, uh, trying to get, get involved in other consulting engagements and so forth and grow your business. That's what he's done here. Okay. So it also points out back here that, uh, uh, let me see, where is it? Well, on his, on the digital monetary authority that he is, here it is right here, that he's a founding board member. So, and that's from August, 2018. So not quite. Yeah. All right. So he basically went out and he founded this digital currency monetary authority in air quotes and then start set about developing with his little software company, the new global banker coin, right? Okay. Well, this may sound a little shady to you, but I mean, that's probably because you haven't seen the website, which is right here, which totally looks like a shitcoin website here that's been turned out of, you know, some generic template. <laughs> Introducing Crypto 2.0. The unicorn, the unicorn, sorry, I keep calling it unicorn because it's, it's a bit of a unicorn here, folks. The unicorn network, global, decentralized, secure. And by decentralized, he means decentralized among the central banks. There's, there's validators that I think maybe you can do some stuff with, but the core network, it's controlled by the, the globalists here. I don't know why it would be decentralized then, but, uh, you know, it's okay. The next generation of cryptographic technology solutions and services for uh, suitable for global banking and digital finance services. And then there's this link here to this absolutely awful um, crypto, you know, one of the university videos that's like an hour and a half explaining the, the global financial system and so forth. And then, you know, right here, because central banks deploying an international central bank digital currency would want uh, the login to their system, to the admin pages of their system on the homepage of the, the website. Seems like it would make a lot of sense. Here's where you can log in. Okay. And then uh, they've got the same thing for some of these other, there's a communication system, a little messaging that you can do and uh, something else. Well, down here, you've got the stakeholders. So we can click on monitor monetary authority that isn't actually a link so i guess they don't have any of those let's see what banks they have okay banks takes you to a page that says uh bnks i think that's supposed to be banks achieve higher profitability with digital currency products and then it's got a, a digitized image of a laptop fintechs it's got a picture of a circuit shaped like a human face with currency floating around in the brain and it says Introduce more innovative financial products to your customers. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pretty much all of them are like that, and it goes on and on and on. Okay. So let's actually, oh, let me close that right there. 
Let's look at the monetary policy framework. This is actually one of the ones down here that has a little bit of meat on it so we can read and, and figure out what this unicorn is trying to do. And it says here, it's a cryptocurrency engineered as a universal monetary unit for global, continental, and domestic trade and payments. So, I mean, the whole enchilada here, the DCMA is organizing a committee, so I guess they haven't organized that committee yet, of up to 12 leading economists and central bank leaders. Probably because the economists and central banks don't want anything to do with this. Primary goal is to establish a monetary policy framework for revitalizing or realizing Unicoin as a continuous demand store of value and a medium of exchange cryptocurrency to ensure Unicoin qualifies as a cash reserve deposit currency for central banks around the world. Sounds great, doesn't it? Aggressive movement in a crypto. Okay, so here, you know, he's kind of getting into some of the problems when you, when you want to do what he's talking about here, provide global li liquidity across different crypto, uh, different uh, fiat currencies in a constantly fluctuating market. Aggressive movement in a currency price increases market volatility and lessens confidence in its stability. Highly volatile cryptocurrencies are viewed as speculative investments and lessens its adoptability as a true store of value or a medium of exchange. I'm kind of wondering if this was like AI generated. <laughs> the use of open market operations will assist in minimizing price volatility of Unicoin over, over time and should prevent Unicoin from being traded in the same pattern of a broad of the broad cryptocurrency market. So see, utility, which yeah, this is actually true, probably, if it were, were adopted by everybody everywhere for everything, it's going to cause it to rise in price, and that utility will drive the stability of the thing, and that's what's going to set his, uh, sorry, not his, the Digital Monetary Currency Authority or whatever it is, it's going to set their product apart right? Because theirs is actually going to do it. Unicoin open market operations will utilize, okay, so here's their market makers, how they're going to actually make this thing work and provide that global liquidity across all these different uh, currencies. We'll utilize a collaborating network of open market traders to buy and sell Unicoin to stabilize any aggressive volatility that may arise in Unicoin in the open market Okay, so market makers. Mm -hmm. Unicoin open market operations will also be a strategic tool for achieving short-term and long, longer-term monetary policy targets and goals. Okay, so I guess the code is not going to be fixed because they're going to want to be able to change those over time, which is, must be why it's centrally controlled by the, the bankers, right? The Unicoin open market operations will deploy artificial intelligence and machine learning trading bots to assist in achieving Unicoin monetary policy goals. So they're going to automate this whole thing. The liquidity is just going to magically provide itself because of their trading bots, I guess. Unicoin could help central banks and their member banks meet their minimum depository requirements with less national fiat cash than would be generally required. So... Throughout this whole thing, they push this idea that, um, well, you can, the, the commercial banks, they will just be able to deposit money in a certain account and uh, they will be able to then generate these UMUs that, that they can issue out and use. And I guess 
you know, there's only a 90% reserve requirement on that cash. So they'll be able to take 10% out and sell it versus the current system. That's only like a 10% reserve if that, right? So this system's way better, which is going to be fine until, uh, you know, one of the big banks decides they're not going to keep 90%. They're going to do 80. And if you don't like that, then we'll get it. We'll stop using your system and, and crash it and see what happens. And so then 80 will be okay, and then 70 and 60, and we'll be right back where we are. So he goes on, UMPC monetary policy will establish specific monetary incentives for central banks and retail and commercial banks to purchase and hold unicorn, (laughs) you see why I'm calling it unicorn, in their cash reserves. So somehow the, the coin is going to, pay the central bankers to use it. This sounds, yeah, this sounds really plausible to me. Unicoin has engineered cash reserve ledgers specifically for central banks and their member banks. Okay. So now he's trying to paint it here as like, this is, this is the commercial central bank tool solution right here. I've got it all. Come see me. Let's talk, right? To simulate continuous demand for unicorn unicorn <laughs> the unicorn protocol will offer banks and wallet holders okay now we're not just talking commercial product but i guess retail too because it did mention retail earlier right you remember that wallet holders the best price cross-border fx rate market worldwide uh okay so i wonder what the innovation here is because it seems like all he's done I'm sorry, not he, the DCMA has done here and the, the unicorn network people have done here is uh, take the FX market and add their layer of complexity on top of it to, to simplify, you know, by adding complexity and then charge an extra one to 5% on top of the FX rates. But don't worry, we're going to read in a little bit. They've got a plan to subsidize those rates by 5% to make it cheaper to incentivize adoption, right? Like this is the the whole uh, Western Union, uh, not Western Union, but MoneyGram all over again. Uh, Okay. (coughs) Excuse me. With Unicoin offering the best FX rates for cross-border money transfer should also stimulate Unicoin demand. How are they doing that? Subsidizing. Where's that money coming from? We don't know. I think they're just going to print the fucking coins into existence to pay everybody. Sounds great, doesn't it? So much for that 90% cash reserve. Unicoin Network will absorb an immediate loss of subsidizing and offering discounted FX rates. These best priced FX rates are only accessible through the purchase of Unicoin. So, you know, send us your money and then we'll let you do FX exchanges that you could do on your own without us without the cryptocurrency but because we're going to give you a five percent discount so then when the discount's gone what happens well i guess i'll just go back to (laughs) not paying your premium and using your stupid coin for the added complexity of using the existing system policymakers intend to achieve a cause and effect relationship of stimulating continuous demand for unicoin 
which would ultimately increase its asset value. Depending on the continuous demand, UMPC policymakers will determine an effective FX discount rates. The discount rate will generally range up to 5% to current interbank wholesale FX rates. So there you go. Oh boy. Yeah, this sounds like a really bad idea here. The UMPC will establish yield payout rates. This is another one, depository interest rates. So, you know, when you deposit money, I guess because the central banks do it, the Unicoin is also going to do it somehow. The UMPC will establish yield payout rates for wallet holders to stake Unicoin in the staked proof of trust consensus protocol. Oh, because, you know, this is what central banks want is some crypto bros staking their uh, long-term holdings <laughs> and doing what with no risk to principal spot transaction validators could earn up to 20% annually, make it 20% yield on the central banks. Yeah. They're going to be falling all over themselves to sign up for this. Don't you think the UMPC will establish spot yield rates based on the competitive decentralized finance market? Yeah. The central banks are going to basically going to start depending on DeFi of all things. Okay. Okay. And based on the need to stimulate continuous demand for unicorns. Uh, okay. All right. So there's the monetary policy. As you can see, um, it's mostly solid, mostly pretty solid policy there. Uh, but let's read the white paper that was published a month ago. <laughs> Here's the abstract. See, and he talks, it, it talks about Bitcoin and medium of exchange and the innovation there and the, inter, uh, the International Monetary Fund publishing this report on the potential risks of crypto assets. And that's where this guy, Daryl, he saw a huge opportunity, folks. Huge, huge opportunity. Because the IMF did not consider the possibility of a new class of crypto cryptographic innovations conceived to not only support but strengthen the monetary sovereignty of the international banking system. And he's taken it upon himself to label this crypto 2.0, right? Because 1.0 was like the people's money where it was decentralized. 2.0 crypto is where, yeah, we throw that out and... Now we have central banks running the decentralized trustless uh, monetary system. Sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? Let's, let's, yeah, definitely start using that for Crypto 2.0. <laughs> this paper outlines the blueprint for best-in-class CBDC design and discusses how digital economic unions or, and an international CBDC could complement and strengthen the international monetary system. The DCMA's journey into the CBDC began in 2018. Unicoin optimizes a high-performance two-tiered consensus protocol. Okay, so you've got the first tier is a cluster group of trusted monetary authorities. There's your central banks and governments <laughs> running the network called mega nodes, which provides the instantaneous validation and processing of a network of transactors. So they have more transactors, I guess, feeding transactions in gateways, basically uh, to the nodes that are validating the transaction and it uses sharding, but that's not a problem because you know, it's just a small little trusted network of, of just the, the central bank nodes where they get to determine what transactions are valid. It sounds, sounds great. Doesn't it? 
The second tier is a non-cluster group of validating nodes called mesonodes. Mesonodes must commit a financial stake to validate transactions and earn unicoins for their validation services. So there's your 20% yield that the central banks are going to give away to the crypto bros. Uh, protocol implements a quote, no response. Okay. So that was, that's probably a little more technical than I want to cover, but uh, the, I think the big innovation that lets, he, he can just scale this thing unlimited apparently just by adding hardware. It's amazing. And uh, the way he does that is by not sending back the acknowledge response because, well, the network's trusted and that trust could never be broken. It's not like Swift has ever been hacked, even though it is hacked every year for tens of millions of dollars. Meganode's parallel process, they apply sharding. That's how they solve the double spend. And they, you know, he talks about the UTXO, the transaction order, and how the longest chain solves the double spend attack. Well, banking is far more sophisticated. <laughs> Needs to be able to support multiple settlement currencies and several asset liability ledgers. Hence, the DCMA has adopted the account model for the unicorn UMU CBDC. And it, it, I mean, there's a lot of detail here, but here he's talking about the 300 transactions per second uh, can scale to support an unlimited number of message queues currently configured to 1024 queues and over 300,000 transactions per second. Sounds real good on paper, right? Because that's what this is. If you hadn't figured it out yet, this is what's called a paper tiger where somebody creates a bunch of documents and it's not really that real. I mean, it is now. It's. I think he's launched the network and the supply is growing. Gee, I wonder who's getting those first tokens. Do you think? Maybe it's Daryl. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, somebody's going to need to buy, to sell those uh, stakers that are going to earn the, the crypto bros that are going to buy the UMU to stake it and earn a 20% yield running the, uh, the validator nodes. Um. I guess Daryl's going to be such a great magnanimous guy that he's going to be the one to sell them his personal supply that he granted himself when he created UMU and the DCMA and then basically pitched it to the IMF to go to their spring meeting so that and said, "Oh, you know what? I got this I got this new crypto. It solves all your problems. I saw your report. I'd love to do a presentation on it." It's Exactly what this is, folks. Electronic cash transacted through the regulated banking system requiring KYC, AML, and other requirements. Physical cash can tra transact outside the banking system privately between two parties. So it's a CBDC centrally controlled by the banks, but also apparently you can swap it over NFC or Bluetooth. Okay. <laughs> Because that sounds, that sounds awesome. Many citizens fear with the advent of retail CBDCs, governments may take away private physical cash mon money and incorporate surveillance capabilities in retail CBDCs. Okay, but that's not the case here because he's solved that problem. He's come to the rescue with his privacy coin that's not actually a privacy coin. Um the Unicorn Network users can attach their mobile wallet to their bank wallet and transfer money between them. Point-to-point -point digital cash transactions support financial inclusion and the unbanked as Wi-Fi and a smartphone are not needed. So see, there you go. You can trade this thing just like digital cash. And when they sync back up to your CBDC account, it's 
It's not like they're going to know who gave cash to who, who would exactly what transaction at, at what time for a certain, for the same amount, they wouldn't ever be able to figure something like that out. <laughs> CBDC offers tremendous promise for central and commercial banking. It is not realistic to assume retail and wholesale CBDC will replace the current international monetary system. The DCMA suggests CBDC will augment the banking system and must coexist and interact with legacy banking, right? Cause it's not like it's a system, you know, the one that takes seven days through the correspondent banking that needs innovation to strike it is the creation. Uh, a major function is the creation of or minting of money, right? So now we're getting into this thing's just going to inflate itself. The foundation or layer of the banking system will be displaced by CBDC in the Unicoin network, leverage existing traditional banking legacy systems for the creation of money, then enable the capability to transfer between legacy fiat bank accounts and the CBDC bank accounts at both the central bank and the commercial banking levels. So what is he saying there? Uh, basically, you take your wallet, you link it to the banking app, and then you use your wallet to transfer internationally. Using the legacy banking system identifiers to, you know, move it through. Yeah, this, this is really bad folks. Like why do you, why can't you do that with pretty much any other crypto out there? Uh, sustainable development goals aim to reduce less than 3% of the transaction costs for remittances. We illustrate another. So there's their, what he's doing here. <clears throat> as he's pointing out, look, uh, IMF Unicoin, it complies with all these things that, that the IMF brought up at uh, in this paper, the risk to crypto. We've addressed all of them, and he actually has down below, or at least he thinks he has. Um, and they've had this goal to get the cost of remittances down uh, to less than 3% of the transaction, and they failed miserably at it year after year. We illustrate in another section how we attach SWIFT bank accounts to UMU wallets. So there's the, your SWIFT integration. It's with a wallet on a phone. That's how the central bankers are going to run the next global financial system. They're going to take out their smartphones with their wallet linked to the, the CBDC, and they're going to start using that to move billions of dollars around daily in hundreds and thousands of transactions. Seems plausible. The problem with correspondent banking, so he's going through the whole correspondent banking and all, I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you guys that, assume that you're educated enough to understand that, that piece of it anyway. Uh, now there's no reason to only imagine because this is the exact vision we have ex implemented in the Unicoin network. So here he is, the savior coming in to rescue the IMF and provide the solution. And this is why I think this is worth uh, like reviewing and considering, even though it's ridiculous and it's never going to work. It's what he's done. And this guy has Reggie Middleton vibes coming out the wazoo. All right. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why did the government go after Reggie Middleton? Well, I don't know. I mean, he's shooting videos with hose and, and uh, flashy sports cars and big boats and talking about the banks gonna gonna be coming to him to solve all their problems and you can buy my coin now <laughs> of course that doesn't explain hex does it all right uh 
So he talks about this unified ledger and what he's really talking about is ILP, interledger protocol that already exists and so forth. DLT must be able to settle multiple currencies negotiated in international trade. Requirement can be achieved without compromising the monetary sovereignty of any central bank. Unicoin Network has implemented a multi-currency settlement DLT, which is ILP. It's not ILP, but he's trying to recreate the wheel. DMCA has implemented a multi-currency, multi-ledger DLT. Uh, CBDC public monetary system should also include interoperability features to the legacy real-time growth settlement system. That's the whole Fed now thing. People are going stupid on this and saying that's the that's a cbdc no it's not it's their real-time payments it's the tip system that they implemented in europe or the i forget what the one for australia was called and the uk has one this is like um the u.s authorities running the financial system finally in the age of flying cars upgrading from the steam engine to the diesel locomotive on the train tracks that's that's what are the the real-time gateway the 24 7 settlement and they talk about the neft uh systems so he's just signaling there hey look we integrate with all this stuff over the cell phone with the wallet you just connect them up and you're good to go Multi-gateway enables the transfer of money between both legacy payment systems and digital currency and CBDC payment rails, given that digital currency and CBDC rails must complement the existing financial system. It is important for digital currency, public monetary systems to be able to interface and transfer funds between existing gateways. Now, I don't think he's done that or he knows how to do that, but, you know, it sounds good on the white paper that was written a month ago. Uh, DMCA, DCMA does not impose any centralized regulatory rules, the responsibility of each central bank and or commercial bank. So this is where he kind of starts to draw the little line in the sand. And it's basically like, um, I've got this cryptocurrency and you can buy it and then you can send it to somebody else that also bought it from me. And then they'll give you money for it <laughs> or you can use my fx service right like okay if fx is a better system why, why aren't they using it now why aren't they currently using it why are they using the correspondent banking system if fx is better hmm? oh boy okay <laughs> so unicorn network implements smart wallets now Here's where it gets interesting to me because the customer list is about to grow. It's central banks at the top, member banks, that's the retail and commercials, commercial banks, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, fintech companies, merchants, and private citizens. So this thing does everything from central bank, interbank payments, all the way down to retail payments for private citizens Wow, it truly is the unicorn among cryptos, folks. Only central banks, though, can create, modify, or suspend a CBDC because, I mean, isn't that what you want in sound, trustless, uh, decentralized money? Is the central bank deciding if you can spend it or use it or if you can even have it anymore? 
Oh, it's brilliant. Then we get into KYC, know your customer, all the, the regulatory hoops that are increasingly becoming more and more restrictive because, you know, like they're never going to get enough. They're never going to stop threatening your privacy, your sovereignty, your ability to do things without their permission. And, you know, this is just another, the latest example, the $600 transactions, latest example of that. Imagine a global customer identification registry that's decentralized in every central bank jurisdiction so customer information is not passed out of the country and is not shared with any other bank. Okay, well, that sounds good, but how exactly are you doing that? The global yet decentralized registry would create a unique global identifier for every person and entity for every bank account opened in the international monetary system or at least the participating member banks. <laughs> okay, so somehow we're going from bank knowing your ID to not identifying you. Hmm, that's interesting. So if a banking customer in the United States have the same or statistically similar KYC information as a banking customer in the Cayman Islands, the global KYC registry would generate the same globally unique identifier for each customer. So see, the system's going to know you are you, and it's going to pair you up with all of your accounts for this banking system, and it's going to do it automatically. And I guess you won't be able to appeal that if something goes wrong. Who knows who's running that? It's all automatic. It's in the code. It's the algorithm. This sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, that... <laughs> that's a dumpster fire waiting to happen. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. Enabling network monitoring technology to monitor customers on a global basis. That sounds great. That's what I want from a decentralized private cryptocurrency. That's just like cash and also a central bank digital currency, international replacement. <laughs> Unicoin Network has implemented a global KYC registry for its participating members in the UMU Digital Economic Union. And they talk about, I think, here later, oh, first step is KYC AML onboarding. So tokenized deposits are a fundamental uh, foundation to building block of a CBDC network. Unicorn Network has implemented, I'm just going to call it Unicorn because I can't resist. <laughs> Uh, implemented a globally decentralized token uh, tokenized deposit mechanism where any back bank can mint unicorn or deposit a purchase transaction. Okay. So the funds remain on the balance sheet of the bank and are not required to be outflowed to another bank or foreign in economy like USDT or USDC. So I guess they just have their own little, honeypot there where they put this money into and it just stays there and the bank just keeps it but then they're able to mint uh unicorn coin <laughs> and you can totally trust the banks to a not just print money willy-nilly somehow and b make sure that that money that's supposed to stay in there with the 90 percent reserve absolutely stays in there and doesn't go anywhere those two things are absolutely going to happen perpetually going forward with this system obviously most countries want to hold their reserves in a currency with a large open u.s financial markets that talks about the treasury being the largest and most liquid but he doesn't really talk about anywhere in here how he's going to create that liquidity 
and like, okay, this thing is a central bank tool or, and they're the only ones that can run the nodes, but anybody that wants to can access that. And, and you think the central banks are actually going to be okay with any of this. No, oh man. Okay. The UMU universal monetary unit is an innovation of the DCMA, you know, this fake organization that this guy created engineered and governed not to disrupt, but support and strengthen the international monetary system. So this is where he comes in and, and Brown noses the IMF with their takes their report and then writes a rebuttal to each of their risks that they identified to show, Hey, this coin that I just launched a couple months ago, it is ready to go take the digital throne. And, uh, you know, you're going to need a lot of unicorn for this. Don't worry. I know a guy who can sell you some. <laughs> oh, did anybody in the XRP community like actually fall for this or think that this was the real deal? I'm, I'm curious. I haven't, I haven't, been paying that much attention to it lately, but I'm sure there were some people who were like, Oh no. Or did y'all, hopefully all of y'all got it. I want to, if you can answer that question in spaces, you want to jump on, please do. I'd love that perspective. Okay. Uh, the DCMA prohibits the UMU from being legislated as legal tender and negotiated as settlement currency in domestic or international trade. It can only be used as a payment currency, not settlement, right? So what is payments? Well, that's Swift. Swift does payments. It's basically messaging. So now, instead of just using Swift, we're going to use Swift plus UMU and the overhead and the FX markets that come with that in order to do faster cross-border payments. The UMU has a monetary policies to minimize price volatility. Uh, UMU is governed by an International Monetary Policy Committee of Banks and Financial Institutions, both advanced economies and emergent markets. So, yeah, they're getting everybody. I don't know that they've got any of those because I don't think they're listed on the website at all because, you know, this thing was just slapped together. UMU guarantees the best foreign exchange rates for transaction transacting cross-border payments. And he, he says, uh, okay, so here's the here's the formula forex minus rates is the common business model applied to cross-border payments meaning if the foreign exchange rate to send money from the united states to mexico is 1 to 20 the remittances may offer 1 to 19 to earn a 5 percent spread so there's your overhead uh, of course the u the imf's goal is under three percent so this actually on its face wouldn't be doing that but don't worry he's going to offer the discount remember and subsidize the fees Apparently, <laughs> leveraging artificial intelligence, UMU can generally beat the most competitive foreign exchange rates by 50 to 500 basis points. So he's got the magic arbitrage trading bot that can solve, that can crack this global liquidity cross-border payments nut. Six decimal places for the UMU coin priced in the U.S. dollar, the universal monetary unit is governed by monetary policies to ensure it remains in continuous demand. That's, that's what we need. That's how you create global liquidity. You have a policy that just makes it so. Monetary policies, like when the politicians pass a law, then everybody just automatically stops doing it because, well, it's against the law. 
Monetary policies include not using third-party market makers and market maker making UMU in-house. So you can't, don't you banks and FIs out there be wash trading UMU and trying to, uh, you know, edge people out of their position. (laughs) Establishing uh, term purchasing incentives. So, you know, you have to buy it and you don't get it right away. So you'll, you'll have predefined points where you can dump it later. And settling UMU asset uh, pricing targets. So, yeah, they're, they're going to have fixed prices on their little exchange thing. Like, they're going to outsmart the market because they get to set their own exchange rates. And the market's just going to go along with that instead of not use it if it's a crap deal. Of course, when do you need all this stuff? When there's a liquidity crisis, which this thing is using all the existing rails and doing nothing to innovate the the industry so it's not actually going to help anything at all because it's just another layer of complexity in the name of simplification here let me tell you how i really feel unicoin supports banking tokenized deposits and functions like an international cvdc where do the where do those 20 percent payouts coming from guys the umu gen guarantor the dms dcma ensures umu against any loss of value at the time of redemption making umu ideal for banks and trading partners to hedge against inflation so this was something ripple did as well remember when they were talking about uh having a program that would cover slippage in the early days that was one of their sort of proposals that they were batting around and and debating because that's a you know problem that has to be solved. What happens when you've not? This is the whole reason the dollar reserve currency uh, still exists because it's the stability compared to everything else out there. What this thing's talking about is leaving everything, leaving money in all these other unit, all these other fiat currencies out there, and they're just gonna go ahead and cover any losses on behalf of these guys to make this whole thing work until there's major losses and then they can't uh they can't cover it all because they'd have to sell too much which would crash the price of the uma which umu which would destabilize the entire system but let's not talk about that the umu uh guarantor the dm dcma ensures umu against loss of value uh and to hedge against inflation because umu is both a store of value a monetary commodity and an international payment system, the number one use case for UMUs is mitigating or even reversing local currency depreciation. So this is where they get into, well, you just, the bank just takes the money and deposits it in its own account, I guess, and then uh, uses that to generate UMU, to mint UMU into existence and then issue them out. What could possibly go wrong with that system? Uh, so the IMF mandate, they're achieving economic, to achieve economic and financial stability. Um, they've got five points here. I'm only going to read one of them. UMU can be converted to uh, the equivalent value of any settlement currency at the time of payment using their Forex plus exchange rates. So Forex plus our overhead. <laughs> Citizen trading and trading partners can purchase UMU in their local national currency to mitigate against local currency depreciation. Uh, DMCA will transparently report the, so the DMCA, DCMA, they're going to have visibility into how much 
uh, UMU, all of these uh, central banks are holding the central banks. They're going to love this idea and they're going to take it and they're going to publish it in a report because the central banks, the government, they are all about transparency. Let me tell you is why they stop publishing so many of their, their current metrics. <laughs> Didn't they stop like M3? I think that one they still do, but there was another one that they just, no, we're not going to publish that anymore. News is a little too grim for you, nor for the normies. They might figure out what's happening here get a drink. Okay. The DMCA will transparently report cumulation of UMU by country. Hence, as UMU is adopted and amassed by citizens, trading partners and banks and central banks, the total value of UMU is going to be factored into the traditional Forex currency valuation models. And they're just going to publish all that. And yeah, the banks are going to love it. Because UMU is always purchased in the local currency and because UMU stakeholders can liquidate to their local currency at any time, the central bank burden of managing Forex currency reserves becomes more efficient, efficiently outsourced to UMU while yielding the same international monetary impact. Ugh. No, it, oh man, this thing would break and uh, yeah, it would crash. They're never, ever, ever going to do something like this but again this is this is a design that's built inside of the cage that they've placed themselves in and this is why the fiat monetary systems the cbdc systems are going to die and it, it, you know I've, i'm when i was reading this i'm reminded of like cliff high's um, old web bot reports that talk about uh, the, the fiat currency, the U.S. dollar will reserve status dies. And then they roll out something and it kind of, mm, yeah, it doesn't really work and it goes away. And then they roll out something else and mm, yeah, it doesn't really work and it goes away. And then they replace it with nothing. And then nothing is decentralized money. There's no more government money. It's just cryptocurrency. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like this because this guy's good at playing politics. That's how he got, you know, to the chief job at AT&T and then did his own little consulting gig and then set up this monetary authority air quotes and then got on the conference schedule at the IMF. He knows how to play the system and it wouldn't surprise me if somehow I, I, don't, I can't see him getting very far, but like, eventually they're going to become so desperate that they might actually be dumb enough to try and do something like this or some adopted version of this. But there's other alternatives that I want to share with you guys after this that uh, I think will paint a, a pretty solid picture of what's what might happen. Uh, okay, liquid and term purchases. So you can buy it at spot at the current market price and I guess he's going to be nice enough to be on the other end of that transaction and sell it to you. Spot buys are liquid UMU and can be liquidated back to the local currency at any time. Uh-huh. As long as there's a buyer, who's going to be the buyer though? <laughs> and at what price? Supports the IMF crypto assets policy recommendation number nine. So this is where he's kind of glad handing the bureaucrats. To complete Swift-like transfers, simply add, he's got a screenshot here of a mobile app because this is what the central banks run on is uh, mobile apps on their on their cell phones. Simply add a payee using their Swift bank account number 
And the network will confirm that the SWIFT bank account number is attached to an existing wallet. So both parties are going to, every central bank is going to be now run on smartphones, apps, <laughs> to do their international cross-border payments. Uh, if confirmed, you can transfer money using their bank account and the funds will arrive in their UMU wallet. UMU implements both forms of societal money. Cash, remember that's the whole NFT or uh, in whatever that, in thing is and bluetooth nfc there you go so you can just trade it anonymously and don't worry about the big brother looking overhead they they'll be spying on all your other transactions and be able to see that cash level but they're not going to be able to put two and two together definitely not i mean despite Chainlink doing that and basically mapping the entire bitcoin network back to people knowing who almost all of those accounts are so anytime Bitcoins buy and sell, they know who the party's on each end. So it's not really anonymous at all anymore. But this one's going to be different. Our physical cash UMU only exists on mobile devices and is transferred directly mobile to mobile without going through any financial intermediary. Okay, well then guess what? It's not KYC AML compliant, is it? Because if they can move over $600, well, mm, nope, not anymore. Not after Biden's executive order that the the bureaucracies couldn't get passed because it would have got struck down, which it's going to get struck down anyway. But retail UMU can be deployed public servicing payment operating system. So across any public service payment operating system, it can be deployed in ATM machines, point of sale. So he's created an API basically. And all of these different financial service providers and institutions and ATMs and so forth, they can tap into that API and access the UMU network and interface and send and receive transactions. Of course, they don't, I don't know why they're going to do that, but in his world, I guess that's exactly how it's going to go down. The DCMA is responsible for establishing monetary policy governing the unicorn money commodity the Unicoin monetary policy framework consists of four parts. Open market operations in their closed walled garden. Cash reserve incentives. So they're going to pay out money like the central banks. No word on how they're doing that. I mean, I guess, or how they're going to incentivize the FX uh, discount of five, up to 5% that they're planning on giving people to incentivize adoption of their network. But I'm sure it's all going to work out. It's probably not that they granted themselves a whole bunch of these coins and they're going to use some of those to try and get other people to use the money and create a market so that they can dump their bags on them. That's definitely not what is happening here. Uh, cash reserve incentives, premium cross-border FX rates subsidized by Unicoin uh, and term purchase incentives. So escrow, it's got escrow. <laughs> <laughs> the primary market value of any commodity is its utility value. Now, he's using the term commodity and he references the CFTC several times in this document as if stating that, no, I'm definitely not a security. I am a commodity. See, I've said it here five times in my white, white paper would actually make it so, but it doesn't. Good luck with that. The UMPC, of course, you know, if he gets the inside track with the insiders, they're just going to turn the blind eye to this, right? UMPC monetary policy will establish the incentives. Um, so to stimulate, here's the, here's the subsidies. To stimulate continuous demand for unicorn coin, the <laughs> unicorn protocol guarantees the best price 
cross-border FX worldwide, and generally priced from 0.5 to 5% above the current. Okay, hold on. Policymakers intend to achieve a cause and effect relationship of stimulating continuous demand for Unicoin, which would ultimately increase its asset value, which is, hey, good news for the early, for the people who created this thing, right? UMPC policymakers will determine effective UMU foreign exchange policy rates, uh, rates, foreign exchange rates policy. So what are they going to do? Well, this is the kicker right here. So UMU foreign exchange rates generally price from 0.5 to 5% above the current Forex rates. So their innovation here, putting all this together, is um, we're going to use the central bank system, the establishing systems, because we're not here to disrupt anything. They make that very clear in this white paper several times. They're not here to disrupt anything they want to empower it and enable it in this digital age. So we're going to use the same infrastructure and messaging and so forth and all the problems with that, but we're going to add our layer of complexity over it, which is going to add half to 5% increase cost on top of the increased cost of the Forex, which we're going to subsidize to bring it back down temporarily until it goes back up but definitely people are still going to use it because they'll just like paying more for the added overhead of the umu network and that's the innovation to simplify the global payment system if you don't understand that um i don't know if i can help you because i (laughs) don't understand it either it makes no fucking sense Term purchase uh, offer incentives. So there you go. You buy more, you get it later. We'll give you a discount. Discount, right? Like, how? where's the price coming from? Crypto 2.0 is cryptocurrency reimagined to support and strengthen the international monetary system. 1.0 is the people's money. Fuck that. It's time for government crypto 2.0. It's here. Get ready for it, folks. You're going to love it, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Crypto 2.0 applies the features, regulatory, and compliance framework and monetary framework of central bank digital currencies to to a money commodity universal monetary unit. So see, it's definitely a commodity, guys, not a security, Jay. Potential risks published by the IMF do not reflect any of the Crypto 2.0 digital currency innovations of the DCMA. Strictly, this is first generation designed to circumvent. So here again, he's talking about you know, it, this Bitcoin was just for money launderers and drug dealers. <laughs> and crypto 2.0 that I am here gifting to humanity on behalf of the crypto community, that is 2.0. It's the government-controlled crypto. Strengthens, here's the, here's the benefits of the, the nine IMF crypto asset potential risks and policy recommendations. So on number one, it's going to strengthen monetary sovereignty and stability of the banking system number two it's going to minimize the the capital outflows of the banking system because you know the commercial banks they just have to deposit in a certain account and then it's going to create umu coin that they can then issue and that's going to all work out great you can trust them tax classification status uh, as a money commodity so see yeah it's uh he's just said that it's definitely a commodity and not a security so therefore by the way, if you get some Unicoin from me, you'll be able to stake it for 20%, but it is not, uh, once I get the central banks using it, 
you know, through my efforts, but it's definitely not a security. Okay. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for some UMU coin, hit me up, hit me up. Corporate and money, monetary governance, prevent bad actors and illicit activity. So, you know, you're going to be in control of this network. So you get to, to stop transactions and do whatever you want to with it. Complies with domestic and international financial interagent uh, integrity agencies. This is the FATF, the FSB, all, all of the financial regulator, international organizations, BIS, IMF. Configure UMU to comply with regulations. So apparently they're just going to be able to manipulate this thing and that's all going to work out great with the code. Uh, measures impact of UMU on each country's economic activity. So there's the report where they're just going to publish everybody's <laughs> bank account of all the central banks. They're going to love that. Uh, on and on. I'm not even going to read number nine. That's just so ridiculous. A digital economic union is the perfect innovation to realizing a digital gold monetary commodity such as UMU. That gold, that rel antiquated relic, the central banks don't need it. In fact, central banks, if you just want to send that old relic to Daryl, he will take that off your hands and give you the new gold, UMU. The DCMA has been more than seven years collaborating with the banks and financial institutions. Now, their white paper was written last month, folks. Uh, from both advanced and emerging markets in the design of the UMU, DCMA off defines Crypto 1.0 as issued and, and governed by private enterprises to circumvent. The, of course, 2.0 is strengthens international monetary system. So anything that supports the establishment that has kept us in the dark ages of money for the last century, that's what, that's crypto 2.0, crypto 1.0, that was that crazy idea that the people could do away with us. They can't. <laughs> so, okay, here's some of, he's going into, uh, you know, deep dives on these concerns raised by the IMF. And one of them is widespread adoption of crypto assets could threaten the effectiveness of monetary policy you bet your ass it will and it's going to and there's nothing you guys can do to stop that because everything you try will drive more adoption monetary policy would weaken if firms and households prefer to save and invest in crypto assets that are not pegged to any domestic fiat currency yeah why wouldn't they so i guess but if you buy his umu coin then that'll be okay because they'll be in control of it UMU implements a decentralized minting protocol that enables central banks and retail and commercial banks to mint UMU as a tokenized deposit, right? So the banks can just keep the money, I guess. <sighs> UMU proceeds from a customer purchase remains on the balance sheet of the bank or financial institution organizing the purchase transaction for the customer with no risk of outflows to another financial institution or foreign currency. So that's one of the things the IMF's expressed concern about is the capital out it's it's the capital's fleeing the country well now it just stays in the in the bank and you can totally trust them not to rig or game this system at all don't know how but apparently it's just going to work trust them with umu all customers must be onboarded through know your customer process so there you go you get to step up and show your id first <laughs> 
because it's an open, trustless, decentralized, permissionless uh, asset with no counterparties, right? No. This is 2.0, bitch. <laughs> a potential rapid proliferation of crypto assets can affect the international monetary system. Yep, it's going to. When the dollar fails, something's got to fill the void, and it's not going to be the strong dollar. Sorry. Venezuela already pulled that one. So he's again, statements or he's like trying to say, well, that was crypto 1.0. Your, your concern here is crypto 1.0. We've got crypto 2.0 now. It's government money. And the people are just going to love it because it says crypto. And uh, did you see my, my shitcoin <laughs> website back here? <laughs> I mean, how do you like that graphic? It's very colorful. It looks, it's got like neon looking things and there's a menu up here and you know if you drill down into the banks tab look banks i i've shortened your name right there to bnks <laughs> oh boy okay um spread of let's see dmca umu can only be purchased and transacted through a financial service provider so it's another choke point yeah, this is just nonsense nonsense why anybody's going to use this, but you can see why if they, why they might try and roll something like this out because it checks all the IMF boxes that lets them stay in control and not have to change. And it doesn't matter if this is the solution or and I don't think it will be or something else. It's going to fail because of the box, the cage that they put its design in, especially when it's competing with a, an actual free market alternative. Granting a crypto asset official currency or legal tender status has far-reaching consequences for monetary stability. So, you know, their response, I think, is, well, you, we, we say they can't do that, and we can kick them off if we want. I don't know who we is, but uh, that's interesting. If goods and services were negotiated in cryptocurrency, it would disrupt the international monetary system. Yes, it's absolutely going to. DCMA has prohibited UMU to be issued as legal tender. The DCMA could ban any country that legislates UMU as legal tender. So, so much for your decentralization. If you get to decide among even countries which ones of those get to participate, what happens when Iran wants to trade oil with China or Russia? Hmm. Granting a crypto asset official currency or legal tender status would amplify risks. Taxpayers may be able to, you know, use it for tax avoidance or evasion. But oh, dear God, the government not get all their money. You know, this is just fiat's dying. Um, their system is failing. They are running out. They're between this rock and the hard place, as I've described with they got to raise rates or the inflation is just going to take off and get unwieldy. And it always, I've seen a lot more inflation in the last few months um, here recently with some of the prices in stores and, um, you know, crashing the economy if they do raise rates. So they're bouncing back and forth trying to figure it out. And there is no answer. They have kicked the can down the road as far as they can and, this gets us into BRICS and what's happening there. And in fact, let's jump to there because there's this clip from uh, SGT report with Jim Willie, who's 
Yeah, he's a finance guy, but he likes to dabble in the conspiracies a lot bit, like the Red Dragon Society and all kinds of theories. <laughs> I want you to listen to this. Uh, when the SEC went after Ripple to hamstring them, to tie their hands behind their back, to freeze their progress, I thought, well, there's a winner. Just like Reggie Middleton, they froze him. They didn't make any progress at all in the 16 months when they froze Reggie Middleton. He can And this guy has Reggie Middleton vibes all over him. Continued in development. The only information technology software, I shouldn't say that. The only digital finance software development that Wall Street is expert in is fraud. Bingo. For derivatives, round robin bidding, for algorithm trading, for insider New York Fed trading. Wall Street is expert at software for fraud. They're not expert for software development on the new digital highway infrastructure. On ramp, off ramp, trading window. They're not expert at any of that. They don't know jack shit about that. In fact, a year ago, <laughs> Wall Street started advertising open source fairs. Come join open source. And it was fraud. Again, fraud. That's all they know. It's fraud. It was fraud for people to give their software for crypto and digital finance development, software development, and give it to Wall Street which then put it under their intellectual property as a gift. Wall Street is good at fraud. Okay, Ripple cannot be corralled. Ripple is about to move its headquarters out of the United States. Well, Ripple they were. Ripple has already cut deals with a couple of different BRICS major nations. By that, I mean Russia, China, Iran. Those three countries are going to run the BRICS. Bingo. And, you know, if you've listened to this show for a long time, you remember... Putin, a couple of years ago, I think it was now, came out, gave kind of a State of the Union type speech to his parliament, to his government, uh, or actually this might have been at some kind of global conference they have or something like that. But he was doing this interview and he talked about, you know, the U.S., they're our allies, but they, they do some stupid things. They're not getting their spending under control. They're running these huge deficits. Uh, because we depend on the dollar for so much, they're placing huge risks at, a, uh, at our doorstep. And, uh, you know, we can't continue to tolerate that, basically. So what have they been doing for the last year? They Well, not year, the last several decades, they've been putting together their own cross-border payment, their own SWIFT network, okay? And uh, here, Jen, let me... The, the, the reason that they're doing that is twofold. Uh, number one, the U.S. uses, holds SWIFT hostage, uh, you know, with the sanctions and so forth and has actually threatened to arrest the board members if they come to the United States because they weren't implementing the sanctions that the U.S. wanted. And, you know, everybody's getting fed up with the, the big bully on the block and now they're teaming up to kick our ass, basically not ours, but the U.S. government's uh, shit policies that are holding that the world back, right? Because they want to enforce their power and authority and will over the whole world. So they're finally ganging up to fight back. And that's exactly what BRICS is. Okay. So let me, let me 
keep going with Jim here and let him wrap up, and I'll tell you where I think it's going to go. They, they should really do something about Brazil and fix that. I'd love to see Russia Chinese influence to fix that, but probably not going to happen anytime soon. <clears throat> Russia announced that in view of the swift obstruction, they were going to temporarily use XRP. They're going to use it I with all that. their former Soviet republics, probably on a creeping basis, Eastern Europe, probably on a certain basis with China and the, and the, uh, the Pacific Rim, but maybe mostly the Yuan. Look for the Yuan to have a handoff to the Chinese gold-backed digital currency. Look for Russia to use XRP and the UAE dirham. I don't think the Yuan is backed by gold. That sounds pretty ridiculous to me. I mean, sure, the, the Chinese, the, the central banks have been buying up gold. They hold it, but that doesn't mean they back it. That doesn't mean you can take these currencies and go redeem them for gold. As caretaker, temporary payment systems. And I, I believe, and this is the opinion of, of a, a really smart digital colleague of mine, the Russians are going to use XRP to drive up the gold price and put a hot poker up the Anglo-American banker's arse. Maybe. That's why I think XRP but I is going to go that. up. The Russians are backing it. There's a big boycott against the dollar. There's going to be alternatives. Okay, you know, this is going to sound a little outrageous and ironic, but I'm just going to say it. What we might find <clears throat> is that the Asian exporters who mm -hmm. take their goods to ship them to Long Beach and other West Coast ports, they might demand XRP during all the different battles and arguments and conflict over whose CBDC will rule. I think XRP is going to run through with a chariot and get a lot of the global trade. I can just hear the salivating tongues of the XRP army at this. And the Americans might have to pay <laughs> XRP to get their Samsung televisions and their Hondas and their Toyotas and their Hitachi computers. How are we going to pay for that? They're not. With the fiat currency that the the commercial banks might convert into XRP or something else for cross border payments. We're going to take our Fed coin, and we won't want to use the Chinese CBDC. I think the compromise is going to be XRP, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be hilarious. I tell you, we're in for some very serious chaos, Sean. Okay, so uh, he's a bit of a character. I like him. He puts out some good good little uh, nuggets uh, occasionally. But here's what I think. Uh, maybe he's missing, okay, because he doesn't understand the network and a lot of the details. XRPL, it's, it's open. Anybody can use it. Anybody can write software to use it. And that's exactly what Ripple has done with RippleNet. So it's their software that plugs in and facilitates last mile settlement on both ends and utilizes the XRPL in the middle with XRP as the global bridge asset. Um, that's, a, that's some code that they wrote. It's proprietary. They have made it clear that uh, when it comes to sanctions and so forth, that they are going to get on their knees and suck down the big pipe of sanctions that the U.S. government 
shoves down their throat. <laughs> I'm making myself clear. And um, that means no Iran. That means no, uh, you know, a lot of these payments that BRICS, that China, that Russia are snubbing their nose at the U.S. sanctions and Europe, I think to some degree too, in order to uh, facilitate these transactions. That means, you know, those weren't, aren't going to be allowed in the SWIFT system with the, on the XRPL. So you think about it, wasn't Sam pro XRP at one point, someone's asking in chat. Oh boy. Okay. You think about it and, um, what could they do? There is absolutely nothing stopping the BRICS countries from getting together and writing their own ripple net and calling it BRICS net. And it is a BRICS net system that plugs in, thumbs its nose at all of the U.S. sanctions. Ripple loses out, but I mean, it's an open source network. They could write their own. You think they don't have programmers in China? in Russia and South Africa in Brazil that could write this kind of code. Of course they do. Of course they do. And how much, you know, you're talking 10, $20 million to get something pretty functional out there, especially with given, you know, what ripples already done to sort of flush all this out. I, think that is a very, very likely outcome that will have some kind of another ripple appear. Now ripple still benefits, unfortunately, because they've got the founder's supply, right? So everybody's going to have to buy it from them to use it. But, uh, you know, they've made it clear they're going to follow the U S sanctions. There's and, and they're doing this in the middle of open war and revolt for control of the new global financial system. It's like, I, I, I think that's an incredibly likely outcome that we would see Swift or somebody, um, somebody like that step in and uh, not Swift, but uh, bricks or somebody, you know, doing something for bricks to step in and, and draft, write that code entirely possible. Okay. Let's go back. There's a little bit more here. Uh, none of the above <laughs> stated potential risk factors are applicable to the UMU. UMU is the, is the guarantor of all direct UMU purchases, not the government or central bank. Okay, but uh, yeah, anyway, it, okay. It, it just keeps going on and on, but I think you get the idea here. This thing is so handicapped. Here's their fractional reserve policy of 90%. That's why your money's going to be safe until, you know, Chase decides it's going to be 80% one time. And then what are you going to do? Tell everybody and we'll dump your coin and crash your market and your, your project will never recover. It's going to be 80% for us. <laughs> and they're going to be like, okay, okay, that's fine. So that's not going to last. Pose minimal to no financial risk because of the stability of the UMU. Yeah, no, this crypto is really not going to be any different than all the others. Here he goes into the legal classification and tries to place it. We're definitely a commodity. 
trust me on this one. No need for to even get Jay involved in this. We've already determined it's the CFTC that's going to regulate UMU, which is clearly a commodity. And by the way, come and get some tokens from me. You'll be able to stake them and earn up to 20% yield. It's going to be great. If That's only if I'm able to do some stuff that the central banks will use it and pay that, that fee. So, yeah, but it's definitely not a security. The filing for bankruptcy protection in November 22. So, again, he's referencing FTX here. This is all, like, very current uh, information. Like, this is brand new out of the gate, and he's already launched the network. And the supply is going up and up in, like, this steady little ramp. And I'm like, dude, are these your options vesting to yourself right here that we're seeing? Because that's what it looks like to me. UMU is a continuous demand monetary system with a guarantor of its redemption value. Yeah, that's not going to work. Conclusion, banking industry must reimagine crypto assets for banking. Should not disrupt the central banking international monetary system. We need to keep that because it's working so well. And, uh, you know, Daryl Hubbard, he is the guy to do it for you. He's got an exceptional record of achievement. He was, he's taught college at a, at a community college. He's a Harvard grad <laughs> and he created this board and then got on the, uh, the IMF agenda so he could present this and make a big splash. And there you have it. That's UMU coin. So <laughs> welcome to crypto. Yeah. I don't think this thing's going to go anywhere, but again, they might have something to, uh, <clears throat> Something along these lines that they, oh, 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 sorry, hold on. I'm just trying to work spaces here to bring somebody on. There's a couple of you guys that have requested to speak. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see something like this come along because again, they want their, their number one goal is to keep control over the system and they don't want to lose that. And they realize crypto is a threat. So they're going to have to do something and maybe they'll try this even though it will fail. And then again, takes me back to Cliff High saying they're going to have two things that they try and do. They don't really work. Nobody uses them and they go away. And then it's replaced by nothing. This may be one of them or something along the lines that they try. It fails, goes away. And I think it's because they've just violated the people's trust. In, in governments with what they've done with the lockdowns and this whole coronavirus thing, as well as when people are, uh, you know, have lost all their wealth because we're heading into the hyperinflation phase of the, the death of the empire. And the life's about to get a lot harder for a lot of people. So, all right, uh, Lip, you were in first. Why don't you go ahead and unmute and let us know what's on your mind. I got a quick question, and then I'll let y'all get back to it. Yes, sir. Which I, uh, did you see the message I sent you, Green Egg? Uh, which one? The ripple, the XRP chart. Oh no, I haven't. It was just a, a couple hours ago. Yeah. Uh, look at the chart, and then come right back. Uh, I, I don't uh, on Twitter. No, it's an actual chart. Okay, but where did you send it to me? Is that this chat? Oh yeah, message on Twitter. Yeah, I sent in the message. I didn't want to put it on the top. I wasn't trying to. Be rude. Oh uh, no, I don't. I, I'm, 
I don't know. Can you just describe it for us? So it's a chart of the price action that's been happening in the last 24 hours. Okay. Kind of juicy. Yes, that's it. Oh, well, I mean, uh, see, and so like this whole um, Jim Willie thing. Rumor come, they they start, a rumor coming out. Yeah, I, I mean, there's always rumors. And a lot of times, you know, if you remember a long time ago, there was wash trading happening on the XRPL and I went and actually investigated it and they were moving coins through issuances which was generating fake volume on the XRPL and they were doing it leading up to uh, Ripple's conference, whatever that was. Um, and then th that drove speculation and, oh, there's, there's something big's coming at the next Ripple conference. So, you know, buy XRP. And then they just dump into the buying pressure that they created. That happens so, so, so much in crypto. So... Uh, I mean, that's part of the reason here I can jump into a XRP chart just on coin market cap right here. So, yeah, you know, somebody's buying in because I, I don't know why. Oh, you guys can't see that. So there it is right there. So it went from 46.5 to 48 yeah that's sorry that's not really that significant i don't think i mean yeah there's rumors and things that come along there's all this uh speculation about oh it's going to settle it's going to settle and then it's going to go to the moon i don't see that happening either it's gonna it's gonna come when there's real world utility driving demand until then it's all speculation and hype from brad and company so that's kind of my thoughts on that. All right, Johnny, you want to unmute? Hey, thanks, Sam. I'm sorry about the background noise. I'm just not, not out right now. But uh, that was a very good presentation. And when I, was looking, when I was listening to what you were saying, it all of a sudden sounded so damn kindergarten. Yeah. It's like, okay, the banks can, get, banks can make their own coin <laughs> when they need to make their own coin. <laughs> For goodness' sake, <laughs> there's nothing. There's, there's nothing secure about that. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, also, you know, it's like everybody else come on up and have a have a conversation. But like when you were saying, okay, these are made up graphics to just show a high profile image. I'm like, oh my god, how many other things have I looked at that have been like, yeah, we're this fancy, we're new, we're gonna, we're we're where you want to be. It's like, ah, ah. Uh, I feel like an idiot. That's <laughs> anyway, like 80, that's 80 percent of this website is. I mean, it looks like just buzzwords and and industry information <laughs> generated by an AI. It's like, what the hell is this crap? That was the first thing that caught my attention. So, oh my god. Okay, thank you, buddy. Thank you. All right, Johnny. Thank you. All right. So that's it. Uh, if anybody else wants to jump in there. Um, that's what I wanted to cover on the CBDC stuff. Again, they're, they're trapped. They're between a rock and a hard place here. They don't have good answers. Uh, the answer is y'all about to become outdated. Y'all about to get taken out with the trash because you, you haven't 
evolved your network in decades and decades and you've instead just entrenched yourselves and made it more complex and haven't innovated when the op- when technology provided that opportunity long before crypto came around and um you know here they are and uh it's also you know it's just such a system of abuse that um uh oh we got a couple here hold on getting these approved okay it's just such an abused system that i think people are going to lose faith in it like they're losing faith in so many other things government related right now because we're we're at the end game right it's gonna be pretty hard for them to hide it okay uh let's see here uh joe i think you were next go ahead and unmute and tell everybody what's on your mind Yeah, Joe. Hang on. Okay, well, I guess he can't hear. Uh, Deagles, if you want to... Oh, well, no, he just dropped. Or I guess maybe having trouble. I don't know. Uh, There we go. There's Mometa. All right, let's see. Mometa, you want to unmute, sir? Oh, I've got everyone muted. That would be the problem. My bad. <laughs> okay, hold on. Ghost, let's start with you. Why don't you unmute? Sorry, guys. Go ahead. Thanks for sir. having me up. Um, I just had a quick question and try to pick your brain on this. So if Russia creates a BRICS, BRICS net, right, as your example, mm-hmm. we'll do up on that. How do, how do they interact with the rest of the world? We're presuming that we're at a phase where at peace with each other now, with all the countries that are at peace with each other. I just wanted to sort of get your yeah. gauge with regards to how that would play out. Okay, so I suspect uh, that a couple things that they would, one, they would encourage other people to adopt a BRICS terminal, for instance. Like, uh, you know, we're trying to get, uh, why don't you join the BRICS network, even though you're not one of the five founding countries, you can, you know, start using us if you like. And I think a lot of countries that are not the U.S. would agree to do that because it's a power. It's going to be, you know, the other dynamic that's going on here is those countries are rising to prominence while the West is sort of dying off in, in terms of population decline and uh, manufacturing a lot of things. The, the United States is on the downhill slide. Sorry to break it to everyone. So I would see countries like Russia and China and so forth, the, the BRICS countries also still using SWIFT when they need to, but over time the writing is going to be on the wall and people are going to be, a, this is in an environment where the dollar's failing. It's hyperinflating. It's a value away. So people are going to be incentivized monetarily to move over to something that's a little more sound. And, you know, like the whole IMF coin really didn't work. The, uh, forget what it's called, but 
their their sort of attempt at fabricating this token for global liquidity didn't work because it was a closed system. Same reason this um, universal coin won't work. It's just, I mean it's oh, so, go ahead. So what's the next move there for the U.S.? I mean, let's assume okay. So you have a variety of countries going. Let's use BRICS, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when 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 the monetary sort of power switches from the West over to say BRICS, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the West has to have a counter to that chess move that the BRICS does. They well, what do you think happens then? I think that uh, they tuck tail and um, kind of put the best face on it they can by just pretending like it's not happening. I mean, have you watched the press secretary's <laughs> conferences where she's up there just spouting absolute nonsense and nobody calls her on it? Um, they will threaten where they can. Like, you had better not be using bricks. And it's, again, it's not going to be one or the other it's going to be they'll they'll have access to them both anybody will have that option i think eventually to plug into the BRICS network and use it um the u.s will try and exert whatever influence it can but again it's bribe payments in the terms of foreign aid those are going to dry up or not buy what they used to not buy the level of influence that they used to um they're not going to have the same threat you know, from the military and so forth, if the dollar's hyperinflating and they're, everything's breaking down. So it's the U.S. is not going to be in a position to exert its dominance. And that's, I think, the big thing to realize and why our economy, our standard of living is going to decline while some of these other countries reap the benefits. I agree with your, your, your assessment of that, right? But also, given that the military perspective comes into play, that the U.S. would never let their financial system die out without a military sort of confrontation to make sure that financial system sort of somewhat holds, right? Um, assuming that all these other countries goes towards that, as, as you're saying, um, then then you can deduce that that some sort of military conflict comes into play, right? Like, While the likely. economic sort of scenario comes into play, right? Mm-hmm. So now the U.S. is tired. Now I'm sort of moving past this now. Now we agree that that's the scenario. Now the U.S. is tired, right? Mm-hmm. And the Russians are tired of fighting. What happens then? Wouldn't you say an agreement would have to come into place as far as a fair monetary system for, for the countries involved at that point? Um, I don't think, okay, that's a good question. So it's not just Russia, but it's, you know, they're all realizing their strength is in, uh, numbers, you know, is in joining together against the big bully. Um, are they likely to go to war? Yeah, very likely. I think that's maybe baked in the cake to some degree. Uh, is there anyone to bring them to the table to, and I think I'm where you're maybe hoping that goes as well. They're going to agree that XRP is the neutral bridge currency and we all use uh, RippleNet or something like that. I don't almost green because I think, I think you're, you're I don't want to say it because I think at the end of the day, uh-huh. They have to choose one system that works for all of them. And the only reason why I'm saying they this don't. is based on that 
Well, at some point they have to because they have to interoperate with each other, right? You can't just have silo systems because at the end of the day, if you have silo systems, you have competitive nature between those silo systems. Well, and then you end up perpetually in another sort of a war, whether it's financial or military. So oh, the same cycle repeats itself. All right, hold on. If you have RippleNet doing the SWIFT system and BricsNet running the Bricks system, both using XRP or, you know, some neutral asset, if they're both using the same asset, then the liquidity is shared between both systems. Do you see that? Because both systems would be creating demand, transient demand for the XRP token. Is that making sense? Yep, I'm with you. Okay. So, like... Again, I don't think they have to agree on one specific asset or one specific system that because the U.S. is never going to allow its enemies to transact and interact in the global financial network if it can have that say. And Russia and China and all the others are doing it anyway. I mean, you say if this happens, but it's been happening for decades now. It's just it's accelerating and the liquidity pools between these uh, these f- growing number of countries is is increasing to levels that are significant that are starting to impact the dollar. I agree with that, but you said that the U.S. will never agree on, on using the same system because they're the power situation, right? But right. in a situation where we agreed upon, well, multiple countries now switch that power structure in using a BricsNet system mm-hmm. with whatever token that they're using. At some point, the the the, the upper person, upper entity, well, which is the U.S., has to now go in a position of not strength, but our position of weakness of negotiation, from negotiating something, right? Which is why because I think I, there's a lot of thought leaders. Well, that, that's why I think they would just run the, you know, tie their tie their wagon to RippleNet, and that's the system, and they'll pretend like it's number one, and it doesn't matter what any reporter asks and and facts that are pointed out. They'll just keep making that cl- baseless claim as their empire crumbles. Like that, they're they're going to run us into the ground with what they're doing monetarily, and I, I don't think they care. They they don't have any other choice. I th- I think you're right that they could potentially tie their system to RippleNet as it crumbles, but again, I think there's a, a, a conflicting sort of argument happening within the power structures within our country mm-hmm. that understands and have discussed and thoughtfully looked at the scenario of what, where this leads to. If you have dual systems, right, running competitively with one, one another, you, you fall in the same category as you'll, you'll, you'll end up having wars, right, for the dual systems. Here's the play. You guys have more liquidity. We need more liquidity. We have this military power. We'll protect this trade ra- trade uh, association between these countries. These are ours. So there, there's this sort of notion that maybe that's not the right play at this point in time. And I think a system change that allows for the players to understand that they can have their own silo system, 
But when it comes down to settlement between these other countries on a mass scale, it has to be a decentralized open system. And whatever you choose, with, with, with that ever, whatever that means for, for, for your investment users or your thought thesis on this, that's where it boils down to where we could have the most efficient, peaceful system in place for the new monetary system. Okay, That's all there, there you said it correctly, but earlier saying they have to use the same uh, a neutral bridge asset, no, they don't. It's the most efficient way to do it. It's the best way to do it. Uh, it's the way they should do it, but it's not necessarily the way they're going to do it. Like, there's no guarantee that that's the solution because governments aren't logical and efficient like markets. I agree, but the, the evolution of that system, whatever eventually, they build, whether yeah. it's a silo system, will eventually have to go get decentralized bridge assets. Yeah. Yes, that's where I think, and I think a lot of thought leaders would say, okay, we can have these silo systems for a number of years and build our own economic structure and economic strengths for these countries. But at the end of the day, the bridge asset will have to be there in order for that, the, the, the elimination of the power structure where we end up fighting each other for liquidity between countries, right? Yeah, well, so I, I, just, think I don't see that because if, they're, if they are used, I mean, maybe if they're using different assets, but I mean, look, there's different, there's countries that don't have liquidity. The smaller countries don't have liquidity and they're not going to war over it. So like that inequality exists today. I just I, I don't know that I don't know that I'm on board agreeing with you that um, that li that liquidity is going to trigger the battle. And I think the potential also exists for dual systems that plug in to RippleNet or something similar and use it to source liquidity. And then it, it's not a competition because they're both creating buy and sell demand uh, from their respective you know RippleNet versus BricsNet. They're both providing liquidity that each other needs so they are cooperating and that's why you know a neutral bridge asset is more valuable because it's a it's a market markets bring people together governments divide and pit people against one another so by creating this open marketplace they don't have to agree but they can both still benefit from using it well the problem with 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 that scenario is that if you have ripple net uh, it's not going to be, uh, and, and both countries are using RippleNet to source liquidity. It's not going to be a situation where it's it's fully decentralized, right? My hope is whatever neutral bridge asset becomes fully decentralized and open, right? Because at the end of the day, if it's private, the mistrust still happens. And if it's a RippleNet, what the power structures of who controls that RippleNet well, yeah. uh, comes into play. And then you still have to have bodies of, of, well, we have three representatives because our economy is this much, and we have one representative because our economy is... So you create... No, no, no. Okay, yeah, you're, you're conflating things here. So the XRPL, the XRP Ledger, is a decentralized, trustless, permissionless um, network that has all those properties that is not centrally controlled. RippleNet is proprietary software that Ripple, the company, wrote and sells to licenses to banks and so forth to use. Um, if Bricks created their own, you know, those two are going to be separate. I forgot where I was going with that, but you, uh, let me see. You were telling me, 
restate your last point. Yeah, yeah. so so if yes, if Russia creates their own, they'll have two ripple net systems, right? Then yeah. again, you fall into the, the, the same scenario as you have dual systems that you end up fighting for that liquidity, no, liquidity no, for those two different ripple both, net systems. If they're both using the XRPL, they're both there. There, there's the answer, Green. They both need to use, but that's not the, the same thing as RippleNet. You understand that? Well, well yeah, absolutely. But okay. The XRPL's native asset would have to be the main driver. Should be. For both it could be to tokenized. It could be absolutely. something they tokenize, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's not. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it, it makes sense that it would be, but it doesn't have to be. It won't be something they tokenize because, again, when you tokenize it. The control of the tokenization becomes the liquidity play for each country again. Then that each country then goes, well, we tokenize something and we want to build liquidity on this tokenized stuff. It can't be. It has to be a mutual agreement between all parties involved between one bridge layer asset. That's all I'm saying. I think I think we're on the same page on this. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. Okay. Okay. Good. Let's leave it there then. I like that. Uh, appreciate you joining us and adding your thoughts ghost uh Mometa, you want to unmute sir hey sam hey it's like uh it's like 2018 in here <laughs> yeah. talking about xrp this is so the good old days been a while been um a while. I've got, and it's good we need you doing it so i appreciate it i got a couple of thoughts uh-huh um one i'm in, i'm interested from the other side of the equation china it's very easy to invest money in china but it's incredibly difficult to get it out. Yep. They don't want their oligarchs with all their cash having access to uh, open source technology to let them exit their cash from their country. Mm-hmm. How do you think they're going to be able to stop them doing that? Because, I mean, that's a massive choke point for them. They, they do not want that money to leave. How are they going to solve that issue? Uh, I mean, so chi- in China's case, it's CBDC is going to be their choke point, and they, they monitor that and use that as their financial map to see where all the money goes because at some point it's a check's being written or it's being sent out to a corporation they're going to have a record of that i mean is that answering your question or you think it's more complicated than that i think as it becomes more open source we'll have to see how they manage to use that digital one and and program it in such a way that it doesn't leave the country because that's what they care about like china china could I mean, they exchanges over there, all that stuff. The government comes in with AKs, they're going to hand over the records. So it's not like, I, I think their problem is they've got so much corruption, they can't keep a lid on all of it. I mean, you had that like one official that had a basement full of gold bars and currency and so forth that he was caught and executed with. And that's happening all over across China as all the officials are corrupt and taking bribes and whatnot and so forth. So I would say, I mean, I guess they've pretty much gotten rid of cash, but there's still like commodities and things that are being traded. So when it, it, at some point that means you're, you're using the CBDC to buy the physical asset, gold or silver or whatever, and then using that to pay the bribe. So I think they'll just get better at, uh, doing kind of financial surveillance and and business intelligence on that CBDC data to, to identify those people and and then investigate them. Now, while we've got you on XRP and the XRP out, 
Do you have any thoughts on the XLS 30D automated market maker and the arbitrage opportunities, the order book and what they're building there? Have you had time to look into that at all? Because I'm pretty interested in it. I have not. I've seen a little bit on it, but I I don't even want to answer because it's, uh, I'd have to really dive into it. So maybe I should go and do that and maybe do another show one of these days. (laughs) But uh, arbitrage exists. It's a real thing. Can you monetize on it? It seems to me like a bot or an AI driven bot or something would be able to do that. Uh, but uh, you know, who knows, who knows, man, if you could invest a little bit of time, I'd love to hear more about <laughs> it. So thanks for being back on this topic, Sam. I love it. Yep, no talk soon, mate. Thank you, sir. All right. I think there was one more, uh, Sean, you want to jump in? Yeah, Sam, um, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Um, so listen, um, I, I've enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed you being the, doing the spaces. I really appreciate it. I used to follow you a lot when you were still on YouTube back in the day. Uh-huh. Um, so my question is, how do I get a hold of your content now when you're not doing spaces? Uh, okay, so I have a Rumble channel, so I got kicked off of youtube and then i moved to twitch and got deplatformed on twitch uh but it's on rumble to the lifeboats uh there's my twitter channel i'm still trying to get to the lifeboats twitter channel unbanned so that i can post all the show content there um the website i had to the lifeboats.com it got hijacked when i was in florida and now the guy wants five grand for it and i'm like f you so i'll get that fixed at some (laughs) point um and there is a podcast that's on all the major platforms except for Spotify who deplatformed me off of their platform because wow. they didn't like what I was talking about. Okay. So, uh, and that's a so that audio. explains why I haven't been able to find you. Yeah, because there's a lot of censorship and I wouldn't even be back on Twitter, which was like two thirds of my audience. Uh, if Elon hadn't taken over, we'd still be in the dark ages of censorship. And, you know, to a large degree, we still are. I can't post my content to Instagram or TikTok or any of these other state-controlled uh, social media platforms. Okay, yeah. So I so back in 2019, I used to listen to this guy on YouTube called uh, Rain. Yep. Um, uh-huh. You know, okay, the OTC boys, all that, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And he got yanked in the middle of the stream, and then uh-huh. I was listening to you. And then you got yanked. And I'm like, well, damn, because you, yeah. you were talking a, a little political stuff, really which is the like stuff it. I was interested in on top of crypto. Uh-huh. And um, so, yeah, so, I'll, okay, so I'll go check you out on Rumble. All right. For regular content. That, I really appreciate it. And and when you're on Spaces, I'm going to be here. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. All right. Thanks. Okay. Uh, two things I want to cover here briefly. Let me see if I can find... Um, bear with me one second. Oh yeah, I know where it is. It's right here. So, uh, I I mentioned this in the beginning of the show. This is some hospital data that came out of the UK. This is for, um, three, three kind of fairly smallish hospitals. This was published April 21st. So this is days old information and it's a Dr. Wilkins here who has written in asking for all the um, pregnancy related outcomes 
at these three hospitals between 2018 and 2022. So a five-year data set. And you can see right here on the bottom one, I guess you guys can't quite see that, but, uh, you know, 4,000 births, 4,073 births in 2023. It's down slightly. <coughs> but if you look at the historical average, it's right around 4,250 in live births. And in 2020, there were uh, 4,100 versus the 40. 4,073 in 2022, so not really that significant. But when we go over here to neonatal deaths, that's where the picture's a little more troubling. Uh, so, or actually, let me start with neonatal births, which is our, a birth that happens before 37 weeks of pregnancy. And in 2021, when they rolled out the COVID shots, it peaked at 305, okay? Now, the historical average looks like about 250, you had a low number in 2020, so these are pre, these are premature babies that are going to require probably the neonatal ICU for some portion of their life before they're allowed to go home with parents. Um, it's averaged about 250, but 2020 you had only 207, then it goes to 305, and then back to 243, which is kind of that historical average. So the question I have is, well, did the shots cause these mothers to deliver their babies prematurely like the body realizes holy shit we're under attack jettison this kid and let's try and save ourselves kind of thing did that happen and maybe the 200 the lower number in 2020 was because of the lockdown so women weren't as active so they didn't have as many uh things that trigger premature babies in these three hospitals seems plausible but then you look at the deaths and What's happening there? The historical average 2018, 2019 were both six. You had five in 2020. And then 2021, when the shots roll out, it doubles from five to 10. And then 2022, it goes to 16. That is a massive, massive increase in uh, neonatal deaths. Okay. And then when we look at the number of miscarriages, you can see the historical average is about 1,010 to 1,080. Uh, 2021, there were 1,083. The following year, 2022, it almost doubled to 2,065. There's the number right there. So what do we have going on here? Well, shots roll out. Premature uh, babies are born at a record high for five years. Premature deaths, neonatal deaths, double and continue climbing another 60% after that as miscarriages are practically doubling at the same time. But we have, you know, the British healthcare expert, Vicki Mao saying, no, everything's fine. These shots don't affect pregnancy. Well, the data is starting to show it. Of course, there's one more bit to this. He actually asked for it by COVID vaccination status and turns out the NHS doesn't actually keep that centrally recorded at least that's what they want us to believe and they would have to match all those records up so they couldn't go ahead and provide that information for us does that make any sense how much money they spent on the covid response and they don't even have centralized records how is it they're doing the vaccinated unvaccinated studies that we were looking at for years could they be lying here wouldn't surprise me one bit because there's more. 
This is ambulance data for males. I'm sorry, this should be females. Yeah, females under 40. And we've got, again, a five-year data set from 2018 to 2022. And what you can see, let me just describe it, there's a pretty steady base level of right around 200, just a little under 200 events, ambulance calls, for females under 40 with the call coded as arrest or peri-arrest, meaning heart attack, cardiovascular-related issue. And for three years, it's steady. Well, not steady. It's steady for two years. And then it starts to climb at the end of 2019, kind of dips back down. That's the gray is 2020. And you can see summer of 2020, you get an elevated signal there that kind of drops back down, goes back to baseline and then, uh, or to, to slightly elevated. And then in 2022, 2021, I'm sorry, you get three months of slightly elevated. And I think that was the gray, you know, el- that's from the summer on that's elevated over here. I think that's COVID. I think that's COVID related because the spike is the spike. It was causing, you know, some of these cardiac issues in people who were catching COVID. And then the spike protein cleaves off and uh, gets broken down into, uh, starts causing amyloidosis, gets broken down into uh, prions, which are just like cluster munitions that go in and destroy things in your body. But that leveled off. And then you get three months of fairly low uh, calls or pretty almost a little elevated above baseline until the shots roll out. That's what happened in May. And then it just goes off to the races. When we look at males, same thing, but the signals are even more pronounced. You get a slight signal there in the gray in the first six months of 2020 during the, the COVID pandemic. But then it all goes back to the baseline until you get to 20. 21 when the shots start rolling out and then it goes off the charts and way above the historical baseline and these two blue bars on the other end over there that is 2022 the two months of data that they had for that and the signal is still elevated that's males under 40 look at what happens when you drill in from there this is all males and females under the age of 30 so these are people that don't have heart attacks very often and you can see the calls down there are in the, I'd say, 250, 300 range for most of them. And we see the exact same pattern, but even more pronounced. You get uh, 2021 when the shots roll out. Those are the red bars. Those start going crazy. And then over at the other side of the graph there, those three orange bars, that's the three months of data that they had for 2022. And it's just as elevated for this group. This is clear. COVID's the green right here. Again, it shows up in the summer, causes some of this because catching COVID's a bad thing. It's not something you want to do. The spike is causes damage to the body, but the injections that induce your body to produce and produce and produce spike that goes and transfects cells and then gets them killed and then breaks down into prions and further damages your systems. That's way, way, way worse. So there you go. I think uh, this this data is going to start coming hard and fast from a lot of different sources in a lot of different countries. And it's about to become really undeniable. And this is something else that's going to add to the instability, the mistrust of government, 
People are figuring out that they've been lied to, that these things are harming them, that the government knew this was happening. How many times did we cover stories of the ambulances going by and people having heart attacks? And I've shown you videos of people found dead after the shots and on and on and on. And they knew it. Their data showed it. They knew it. And they lied to these people anyway. And they're continuing to lie to them today. And the people are about to wake up to reality. So, yeah, it could get, look at what's happening in the big cities, the Democrat-run cities already. It could get real ugly. Uh, It could get real ugly. So, you know, what I do, I have crypto, I have my silver, I have a little bit of gold, I have food, water, shelter, all that stuff worked out. And that crypto is not on exchange. It's sitting in a ledger. I could trade it and try and, you know, make more and add to my stack and whatnot. But I've had friend after friend that have lost tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Some of them, a couple of them have hundreds of thousands of XRP uh, using some staking to gain a little bit of extra. And yeah, it bit them, bit them in the ass. And what we're heading into, death of the dollar, financial collapse, economic collapse, uh, potential war, and the list goes on. Um, Yeah, it could get ugly. So prepare, folks. Please prepare. Because the game of can kicking, I think, is reaching its logical conclusion. So, And that's where I'm going to wrap us up with tonight. So, all right. I enjoyed it. It was fun talking crypto. Haven't done that in a long time. I know that's what you guys love to hear. So glad you joined us and caught a little bit of this as well. I'm Sam Dotson. We'll catch you on next broadcast. Thanks, everybody. to wake the people up i see a few waking up but i don't see enough if you want to hear some real rap then turn the speaker up they locked in assange and i felt to free him up rest in peace black the ripper let me like this weed i live like a lion i don't want to die a sheep you can't kill me for talking about genocide the body stops working but the spirit never dies i'm looking at this pandemic from a bird's eye the lying to the people not for the first time i just want to see peace like the merch sign i tried dmt not open up my third day talking about money and swag that's not real rap how the real ones in the struggle gonna feel that everybody's lost chase in the fake life too busy on social media and facetime just look at the way that we live our lives wake up get this money then it's dinner time i love life i could have died but i'm still alive i'm still me without the claws and the pimmer sign you could strip me naked put me in a jungle no matter how much money i made i stayed humble i had to grow up since eight i've been an uncle i don't always see my nieces but i love you Kids love technology, it's not right though I can't stand seeing youths on these iPhones Reese turned vegan, yeah that's my bro Ain't no dead animals allowed in my home We need to drop our egos and start showing love I feel sorry for the generations growing up With a bunch of fake people to look up to 
That's another soul that's gonna be a lost shooter. I look around and I don't see no real men. Just lost dads putting masks on their children. That's why if I have a kid, then I'm a raisin, right? I refuse to let some men in suits change my life. All the stresses from the world is getting to my head. It's all mad, would it be better if I was dead? But fuck that, cause that's not the right attitude. I'm grateful for life, so I show gratitude. Psychological war. That's why I have to wait my people. 